0: Welcome back again this evening, and to our visitors that we have with us, thank you for being here with us this evening. I do want to remind everybody, we had mentioned this morning, but a few of you may not have been here, the congregation that our family had visited down in Florida, like we said, is they're leaving Tuesday to go to Honduras on a mission trip. Um, it's the Church of Christ of Flagler County. If you don't mind to remember them in your prayers. And also remember this afternoon that uh, Brother Rob Whitaker, who preaches at the Willett Congregation, He and his wife and his kids are uh, left this week or in Jamaica on a mission trip. So I'm sure they would um, appreciate your prayers as well. Have you ever stopped to think before how powerful God truly is? And as some of you may think, well, we just witnessed it this past week, the power of God, the storms that came through, the damage that was done, how truly powerful that can be. But I want us to broaden our minds a little bit bigger than that. I mean, don't, don't try to put God at a level of that's, that's really the power of God when we can see winds blowing that hard. Because if you think about it, that's something that man could recreate inside of a wind tunnel or something. How powerful really is God? Is it something that we can even fathom? Can we even comprehend how powerful that God truly is? Is it possible for, for us to understand it? Did the people in the first century truly understand it? Did the apostles who were walking with Jesus on this earth, did they understand how powerful that the man walking with them really was? You know, we're told in in John chapter one, it goes through a lot of details about, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes through about how God created everything. He's the creator of this world, the creator of this entire universe. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about Jesus purging us of our sins. He has the ability to forgive us of our sins. And if you go over a little bit later in Hebrews, it talks about him having the power to save us. I mean, that truly is powerful. Somebody that can create this world, could create this universe, take our sins that we have inside of us that we can't do anything about, but he can get rid of them. He can save us eternally from a hell that we deserve to be in. But can we really grasp what that means? I mean, those are all things that, that, yes, show true power. But those are things that, from a physical standpoint here on earth, we can't really witness those things happening. We've never seen somebody create something from nothing. I mean, it, it's not possible. It's physically impossible. When somebody has their sins forgiven, is there a physical change to that person? No, there may be a change in their their attitude and their personality and the way that they act but physically they still look like the same person so is there a way that we can possibly understand the true power that God has and that's what I want us to look at this morning now I I will say is it does God expect us to understand everything about him no I don't believe so If he had wanted us to truly understand every little detail about him and who he was, I think that there would have been a lot more in Scripture explaining that. I don't think he expects us to because I'm not sure it's possible to. But I do want us to look at trying to grasp a little bit better understanding of this power. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is the passage that we had in our Scripture reading just a moment ago. And this is... This passage is really why I say that I think God expects us to have some level of understanding of his power. Let's read that together again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But listen to this right here, verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So how is it that Scripture is going to tell us to turn away from someone who's denying the power of God if we don't really understand what that power is? How do we know to recognize somebody who has this form of godliness that carries this name of a Christian? They claim to be what God wants them to be, but yet they're denying this power. So let's look for a minute and see if we can, if we can understand a little bit of what this power entails. And so again, like I said, I, I do not fully understand it. I don't think it's possible for a human to fully understand it. I don't believe what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be all-encompassing of his power, I believe there's, there's more to it, and even some of the things I talk about tonight, the passages that we look at, there's probably more meaning that can be pulled from them, so I'm not going to claim that I can teach every detail about this, but everybody turn over to Mark chapter 4, and this is where we're going to spend most all of our time tonight, so I want everybody to turn there, and we're going to do a lot of reading passages together tonight, um, and, and we'll stop and talk about some of it together, but I, I don't think there's really any better way to explain some of the things that happened in Jesus' life than to just read them. And let's look at what the Bible really says about it. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And before we get into this, I, I will mention this. And some of you who like to make notes in your Bibles, uh, little comments in the margins and stuff, this is one of those lessons that I had heard somebody else do several years ago. And they had told me, how, and it was amazing, they got up just on the spur of a moment. Somebody asked them to get up and preach. It was while we were in Haiti. They said, hey, can you get up and preach a lesson? They had like maybe 20 seconds notice to get up and preach and he did it and I asked, I asked him afterwards how in the world did you do that well he had this entire sermon outlined in his Bible and so I took the notes and did the same thing in mine and I encourage you and I'll stop as we go through this to tell you where to mark certain things but what he had done is in the very front of his Bible he had put the words just power of Jesus Mark chapter 4 and that's an indication to him where to go to to start and then as he goes through each of these passages, there's a little comment beside each one of them, and it directs over to the next passage. And so I'll, I'll kind of explain some of that as we go through it and say, hey, if you want to mark this in your, in your margins, if, if you want to do that. And it's something that maybe you can use to study with somebody uh, in the future. So Mark chapter 4, let's start looking at verse 10. And, and we're going to look for a minute at why jesus did the parables that he did and i think everybody understands that for the most part and and they've heard this before but let's look at it again mark chapter 4 let's start reading in verse 10 and this is after he had just that jesus had just told the parable of sower but when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable and he said to them to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of god but to those who are outside all things come in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn, and their sin should be forgiven. And so it was obvious that the people who were sitting and listening to Jesus talk and to preach and seeing the things that he was doing, they didn't really grasp everything that was going on. And even the apostles, we can see in certain places in Scripture, Jesus made it very evident to them. was like, guys, why aren't you getting this? Can't you understand what I'm telling you? It's very plain here. They didn't really fully understand it. So these parables were used in a way to, to put an analogy out that somebody would understand and hopefully get a meaning from that. And so as he goes through the next couple uh, sections of chapter 4, he starts telling a couple more parables, talking about the light that's put underneath a basket, talking about a mustard seed and how it can grow. But then something changes at the end of Mark chapter 4 and carries over into Mark chapter 5 it it stops kind of telling parables and it starts going into actions that jesus does and i don't think these actions and it, this is just my opinion this is jonathan's opinion here i don't think that those actions are just spontaneous things that popped up i believe that jesus was trying to prove a point to his apostles by doing these things and so i want us to watch what unfolds and so again where i put in my, at the beginning of my bible there i put mark chapter 4 power of jesus and it directs over to talking about the parables now we're going to start in verse 35 of chapter 4. So again, he, get, he gets through telling the parable of the mustard seed. Verse 35, let's all read this together. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. So that it was already filling. So it's not just that the storm was was just rough and beating against it. It said the boat was filling. There's a possibility this boat's either going to be destroyed or completely sink. Obviously, nature is beginning to take its toll on the disciples and what they're around. Verse 38. It says, But he but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Obviously the apostles the disciples are scared at this point. They're scared for their own safety. Remember, it said the boat was beginning to fill. They may have been afraid that they were getting ready to sink. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, why are you here asleep? Do you not understand what's really going on to us right now, what what this storm is doing to us? Let's read in verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you want to make a comment in your margin there, verses 35 through through 41, nature obeys God. He has the power to control nature. That's something we can understand. Take it back last week when all these storms came through. Winds, from what I understood, we were out of town, so we weren't here to experience it, but we had winds up to 100 miles an hour. Imagine someone walked outside and said, stop. And it immediately stopped and went completely calm. No more rain, no more wind, no more clouds. Everything stopped in an instant. That's what Jesus just did. He was proving to the disciples the power that he truly had through them seeing something and them being able to understand. And and again, this is just my opinion. I believe he put himself in that situation on purpose. If he has the ability to stop that storm, he had the ability to create that storm. He would have known that storm was coming. He's he's Jesus. He's God. He would have known what was going to happen when they got out on that boat. And he still went down and went to sleep. I believe he was proving a point to the apostles about the power that he truly had. Nature obeys God. He's the one who created nature. He's the one who has the ability to manipulate nature if he wants to. All right, let's keep on reading. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, keep in mind, this is immediately right after they got off the boat. So this isn't months down the road. There's not a big time gap. This is when they got to the other side of the sea, they get off the boat. Verse 2, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces neither could anyone tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones everyone has heard this story there's been many many sermons preached about this about the interaction that Jesus had with this man and this man was possessed by demons we all know that and we're going to get into that some more here in a second look at verse 6 I think this is something that's very interesting this man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. This is a man who's possessed by demons. The demons are controlling this man. So in essence, the demons ran and worshipped Jesus as soon as they saw him. They knew who this man was. They knew who Jesus was. They ran and worshipped him. I, th- I think that's very interesting. Let's keep reading verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I do- to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me for he said to them come out of the man unclean spirit then he asked him what is your name and he answered saying my name is legion for we are many also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains so all the demons begged him saying send us to the swine that we may enter them and at once jesus gave them permission then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine and we all know the story from there the swine run over a cliff they all die the farmers that were there that were watching them they were upset about it because they just lost all their pigs and then basically they asked Jesus to leave please get out of here you're destroying our livelihood more or less but look at the interaction that this demon possessed man had with Jesus the demons themselves had with them they knew exactly who Jesus was they knew that Jesus had power over them Jesus could cast demons out of somebody he has control over demonic spirits so, if you're wanting to make comments in your margins, demons obey Jesus. Demons obey God. I, again, there's another very interesting point in this. Notice that when Jesus told the demons to come out of the man, they didn't just immediately go and get in the swine, they didn't just immediately go and possess another person nearby. They asked Jesus permission to go to the swine. They knew that Jesus had the power to tell them yes or no. He could have sent them anywhere he wanted to send them, and they knew it. They asked permission. So does that mean they literally didn't have the ability to go and possess something else without Jesus saying it was okay? Or they knew better than to step out of line because the Son of God was standing right in front of them? They knew better than to try to test it. I I just think that's that's a very interesting point there that they knew who Jesus was. They knew he had power over them. Again, this is something that the apostles... Could have physically seen a change in this man, somebody who was possessed for years that nobody could chain him up, and Jesus immediately changes this man in an instant just by speaking to him. All right, let's keep on going. Let's jump over to verse twenty-one. All right, so it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side. So again, we're, we're within the same time frame. There may have been a day or so passed by here depending on how long they were on the boat. But again, this is not months and months down the road. This is immediately right after he had calmed the, the storm on the boat the first time. He's now proven that he has control over the demons. He's now back into a boat, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, And he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, for she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. All right. Now we're going to come back to this story here in a moment. He's interrupted. Jesus was planning on going with Jairus to go to his daughter, who had come and asked him, Look, she's dying. I need help. So he started to go and he gets interrupted. So we're going to come back to that again here in just a minute. Let's continue reading verse 25 and let's see what happens. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. All right, so we have this woman now who is approaching Jesus. She heard that he was in town, she has this illness, this flow of blood. It says for 12 years, and I think it's very important to understand that it said that she had suffered many things at the hand of physicians. It's not that she had just been sitting over here by herself suffering and hadn't told anybody about it. She's been going to doctors. It says that she spent everything she had to try to correct this problem, and she was worse because of it. She was no better. This is something that modern science and medicine could not fix. Twelve years she's been dealing with this issue. So it's not something that's just some small thing to her. This is probably defining who she is, defining her life. Let's keep reading verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Jesus didn't even have to talk to her. He didn't have to say anything to her. He didn't have to say, illness, come out of this woman. She literally just touched his clothes. That's it. That's all she had to do. Verse 29, look at the very first word, immediately. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Twelve years doctors tried to fix this, and they could do nothing. She grew worse while she was under the care of physicians. She walked up to Jesus and touched his clothes, and immediately, 12 years worth of misery in her life is healed. That's power. That's power that Jesus has. That's power that this woman experienced, that the apostles could have seen the power of this. And Jesus felt that power. Let's continue reading in verse 30. It says, And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Again, if you're wanting to write in your margins, somewhere around these verses put, Jesus can control sickness. He can control illness. So we've now seen that Jesus has the power to control nature. We can understand that. He has the power to control demons. He has the power to heal somebody of an illness that medicine and science had no power at all to fix. All right, so now we're back to the story of Jairus' daughter. Let's pick up reading in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. I, again, these situations, I personally believe that Jesus allowed these situations to happen because he was proving a point to his disciples that were with him, the power that he truly had. Jesus could have prevented this girl from dying had he wanted to. I mean, he even spoken a word that nobody else said, and she would have never died until he got there. This girl died, though, and he looks at the girl's father and says, Don't listen to these people. Believe me. Just believe in me. He knew what was going to happen, and he wanted to make sure that the father did not lose his confidence. Verse 37, let's keep going. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. It was very obvious this girl was dead. There was no questioning whether or not she was just asleep, whether or not she had just passed out. Her soul was gone. Again, back to the video we watched of Don Blackwell's this morning in our adult class. The, the soul has now separated from the body. It has moved on to the Hadean realm, to paradise or to torment one of the two. She's dead. She is completely dead. There is no getting around that. Let's keep reading verse 39. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kami, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. He claimed she was only sleeping. Medicine, science says she was dead. He tells her to come back to life. Look at the very first word again of verse 42. Immediately. There was no medical practice or anything he had to do. There was no process he had to go through to bring this girl back to life. He just said, get up. Wake back up. Stand back up. And immediately she came back to life. He had the power to take that soul that had moved on to the Hadean realm and bring it and put it back into this person. If you're wanting to make a comment in your margin of your Bible, he controls death. Jesus has the power over death. Again, this is something that his apostles could have physically seen happen, that they could have witnessed. So, so we've looked at four things here. And again, these were all within, I think probably within a day or so. There's no indication that there was any long span of time in between these. And they happened right after Jesus was trying to explain to the apostles what these parables were all about that he was telling them. And I think it became obvious to him that they weren't grasping the concept of who he really was. And so he goes through these, these experiences, these interactions that, remember, the disciples, the apostles, they experienced them with him. He put them onto a boat, had the boat about destroyed by nature, and he immediately stops the storm. He proves he has the power to control nature. He, he has an interaction shortly after they get off the boat with a man who's been demon-possessed for years. Everybody knows who he is. He cannot be tamed, and Jesus heals him in an instant. He gets the demons out of him, and the demons even, ask to ask, they even have to ask his permission of where they can go after that. Can we go over there into that swine, please? And he allows them to do that. He has the power to control demons. He then goes on, and he has this interaction with this woman who has an illness for 12 years that physicians, that science, that medicine can do nothing to take care of. She merely touches the edge of his garment and her life is immediately changed. Immediately, the flow of blood stopped, it said. So he has the power to control illness, to control sicknesses. And then he goes on and has this interaction with Jairus's daughter, who has died, and just tells her, wake up, come back, come back awake, come back to life, proving to his disciples he has the ability to control death. Those are things that they could now see and witness themselves and understand the power that God truly had. And I think they're recorded there for us too so that we can start to grasp a little bit of this power that God has. We may not understand the, the power that's involved in creating the universe. I mean, the more that science and astrology and all kinds of stuff continues to study, we learn more and more things about the universe, more things that are there that we didn't know was there. Well, God put them there. In my feeble mind, I can't grasp that. But I can understand if somebody walks outside in the middle of a thunderstorm and says, Stop, and it immediately stops. I can picture that in my head. And I know no one on this earth today can do that. Jesus did it. That's power. I understand people who have had illnesses their entire lives that they can't do anything about, that they have tried, and they have tried, and their family has tried, and spent unknown how much money trying to fix it and he just doesn't even have to speak she touches him and it's healed that's power that we can grasp, that we can understand somebody laying there dead and he tells them to stand back up and they come back to life that's power we can understand we can't see it happen today because no one on this earth today has that power, Jesus had that power so I mean what more could we as just mere people walking on this earth, what what more could we ask for in a Savior? Now, is that all the power that Jesus has? Absolutely not. God's power, is I mean, it's unfathomable by us. There's no way we could possibly understand it. But there's enough recorded here in Scripture to make us believe this is God. Jesus is God. He's the one that created everything. He created us. I mean, what more could we possibly ask for in a Savior? than somebody that has these powers that we just talked about, the powers that he showed the disciples, he showed the apostles to prove to him who he really was. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want us to read something together, and, and I almost think it's kind of ironic. I had in my notes to, to go to this passage during the sermon tonight, and then it came up in the video this morning. And it came up during the sermon this morning. It wasn't my notes. It just kind of went there. But First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Let's read this together. it Says, "But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits; afterward, those who are Christ at His coming." Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God, the father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. And here's what we had talked about some this morning for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Christ has the power to save us eternally. Like we said, the the battle's already been fought. The war has already been won. God has already won this war. Death has been conquered, but death still exists today. It's going to be permanently destroyed for all eternity come Judgment Day. And that's what it's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. There will be no more death. That proves to me God has the power to save me. If he's going to destroy the death that comes into my life to me personally, he has the power to save my soul eternally. There's no reason that we shouldn't believe that. Just as this little girl, that she was raised from the dead, we someday will be raised from the dead as well. And it, it doesn't matter whether our eternal destiny is heaven or hell. We will be raised from the dead. Death will be gone. And so where do you stand? Do you question the power that God truly has? Turn with me back over to the, the scripture reading that we had uh, a few minutes ago, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're not going to read through all of this again. We've already had it read to us twice today. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first four verses, it goes through this list of all these these things that just seem awful. Somebody that's unloving, they're unforgiving, they're boasters, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient, they're traitors, they're headstrong. But then verse 5, it says they're having a form of godliness. These are people who claim Christianity. Those are the ones showing these characteristics of verses 1 through 4 are the people who claim to be Christians they have a form of godliness but they're denying its power we're not going to be acting like this if we understand the power that God truly has he has the power to save my soul but he also has the power to not save it if we're not obedient to him we don't deserve to be saved that's grace that he gives to us to save it we won't be acting like the first four verses of Second Timothy three explains if we truly are obedient, a child of His, and understand that power. Maybe you question that God, re- that Jesus really was who He says He was, that He was God. If you do question that, please let us study with you more. There's so much here in Scripture that if you look at it, it's very obvious that Jesus is the Son of God. Let us study with you more. If If you never have put your faith in him, never have come into contact with that blood of Christ through baptism, there's no more reason to wait. We have the baptistry sitting here behind us ready to go. I mean, what else do we need to do to be saved? Maybe we are one of those that have that form of godliness, that we have become a Christian in the past, that we have been claiming this name of Jesus, of Christ, but we haven't been living like it. We've been this headstrong. We've been boastful. We've been, you name it, the sins that we still allow in our lives. We need to put our life back on track where it should be, become faithful to God again. If we have somebody that that even the demons obey who he is, they understood the power, the control that he had. Why do we not understand that same thing? If you need to become a Christian or if you need to get your life back on track where it needs to be, we ask that you come as we stand and we sing